What's up, friends? Welcome to the Likes and Cash Podcast. Today, we interview the professional life enjoyer, Eddie. We talk about many things, including maybe you're giving away too much value and giving less value might make you more money, the ethical techniques you can learn from unethical marketers and how to grow and monetize your list in any social media that you're using. Hope you enjoy. Marcos, did you like Miami? I was there for one hour and I posted a tweet saying that I got brickle pilled and got multiple Amazon Guru followers. So it's safe to say that Miami, the, the rumors are true. The network is actually there. How about the energy? Is the energy better than New York? <laughs> the energy. <laughs> I, fa- I quickly found out that we actually did love the energy. <laughs> okay, well, ha- are you there now full time? You moved? Yeah, we are. We moved there one day ago and we had to drop all of our stuff at our condo and then just like get on a get in a car to go on this wedding cruise. So I haven't actually lived there enough to gauge the energy, but I have a good feeling. Well, we haven't been there, but you moved. Yeah, I moved. Well, I grew up in Orlando, so like three hours from Miami. So I kind of already knew what Florida was like. And then my theory is that I lived in New York City and then I lived in Bali. And I'm like, how do I combine the two? It was basically like Miami, maybe Austin, or like go to like Marbella or something. (laughs) So Miami is my next option. Well, Abundant. Do you know, in Orlando, that's where I learned good English. I went on a foreign English change when I was like 12 or so for five weeks. That's when I learned the slang. So that that's kind of where I got some English. That's an interesting fact. Yeah, that's what happened. So uh, I sometimes tell the story of like, yes, from poor family, third world countries. Like I wasn't poor, I was middle class. So Which is basically rich in Latin America. Yeah, pretty there, much. Because there, there is no middle class in Latin America. Well, you would know because for... Uh, the few of the people listening who don't know who Eddie is, he's a professional life enjoyer, has 160,000 followers on Twitter, Watermelon Bobby, okay, great ad content, which is a few of the things I want to talk about today. And he's just been a friend of mine for a little over three years. Eddie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, man. I want to I wanna start with one. How long have you been dating your girlfriend? Uh, fuck, too long, man. Like five years, four or five years. How long ago did you become financially free? This is okay. I'm going to give some context to this question because like, I actually wrote an email about it today. So it depends on how you depend financial freedom. So for me, financial freedom is about the certainty that you have a repeatable process for making money. To me, that's financial freedom because I've, I don't know about you guys, but like I've been in situations where like I had a great month. Let's just say I hit like 15K in one month and I still go to the end, at, at, at the end of the month, I'm like, holy shit, did I just get lucky that month. And I know I'm not the only one because I've, I've spoken to clients. Uh, in fact, JK, you and I have clients like this where they get to the end of the month, they're like, man, I have to go through the gauntlet again of like setting more DMs, like creating more content. Like, did I just get, did I just have a great month? And like, now it's like, is it, is it, is it over? So to me, Financial freedom is like when you have, when you know the entire spectrum of content, making good offers, and you have your systems backed up, and you know for a fact if you if you have wake up with zero dollars tomorrow, you know exactly what you need to make money. That's financial freedom to me. So, giving that context to the answer, I reached financial freedom only this year because the free the first three years I felt like I was fluking it. So I've been making good money for about two years now on, on Twitter, but that. The first two years, I was still freaking out about not having money, enough money. Even though I had plenty of money in the bank account, even though I was making sales, at the end of the month, I always had that fear of like, shit, was that a fluke? Damn, that's such a way deeper answer than I than I expected. That was, that hit. I felt that. Do you, does that resonate with you guys? Yeah, yeah, no, it did. It, but by my third question, which was why I asked about the girlfriend thing is, last podcast, something that resonated with the audience was, I asked my family, did you guys think money changed me? And my friends as well. And it was a unanimous yes. Everybody thought they did. 
So apparently I did. If you were to ask your family, your girlfriend, did money change me? What do you think they'd say? Yeah, I would say like the biggest thing they would tell me is that I am less anxious. Like I'm just like calm now. I used to, I used to, I used to like, for example, being Asian, I grew up with a very, and my parents came from poverty, like actual poverty. My mom's like, she, her mom, she's like, she still gets excited that the toilet paper's on sale at the supermarket. Even though she's like financially stable, she will still go out and buy, that was like a joke in high school, like running joke with Asian parents. They load up on the toilet paper when it's on sale at the supermarket. So they are still of that mentality. And so that really fucked me up because like when I took out the business I was always very cheap I didn't want to invest because in business you have to have like a very you know I'm going to invest and this is going to give me an ROI mentality um, I didn't have that mentality for a while I now have that mentality now I just like I just don't worry about money as much That w that's the biggest change and as a result of that I'm less anxious I'm less stressful and I'm calmer overall so like I think my girl if you ask my girlfriend when we met, I was always constantly like stressed out and anxious. Now, like I'm really calm. My man. Marcus, you had a follow-up question? Yeah, I'm curious because you said like, for example, you'd feel like you just became financially free. And a lot of that comes down to building kind of systems and essentially predictability in your business. Yeah. What are the, yeah. some of the things that you had to do, whether it's systems or, or math-wise, to, to really have a predictability to to your income and actually feel like you can do it all over again or every month you can expect to hit a certain amount of revenue? I'm interested in the emotional aspect to that answer, by the way, Eddie, when you answer because like to me, it's the I make money, but I always find a way to worry about money. So I'm curious about the emotional aspect of yours. Mm. Interesting. So for me, it was the real like aha moment was learning about hand raisers. And this is something that we always teach our clients, right? Hand raisers. It's like the most, I've worked with so many clients now that like the very first thing I, I do when I work with them is like, I show them how to write hand raiser. If that, if it works even better, if they have an email list, cause like, it's like immediate cash injection. What's a hand raiser for the people who don't know? A hand raiser is basically like, Hey, I have this thing that could solve this problem. Would you be interested? If you're interested, reply to this email or like this tweet or whatever, do take this action so I can send you more information. That's what a hand raiser is. They're so effective. I actually call them cash raises now. And so the feeling to answer the Marcus's question for me was like, I think it was the, it was somewhere around between the third and the fifth hand raiser I ever sent to my email list. Cause like every hand raiser I've always made, I've, I've made at least 10 K per hand raiser. And so I think by the time I, the fifth time I ran that, I was like, wow, offers aren't static. I could just literally make up an offer and like, it's gonna, it's gonna make some sort of money. So like to get to that point, it takes a while, right? You have to build an audience. Yep. And for me, one decision I made very wisely two years ago was like, I started building my email list before most people on Twitter. And so my list now is so big and so responsive because I've been emailing virtually every day for three years straight. I have such a tight relationship with my audience that I know that as long as I create an offer that I'm reasonably confident solves a problem that I know they have, it's going to make money. Like I just know with 99% confidence, it's going to make money. I send an email every day as well. And when we talked about this with Marcos, he said, man, but sending an email every day, like, I don't know if I want to do that. Guys, think about that. Let's talk daily versus weekly because I'm like a weekly guy, but I think it's just because I don't know if it's because I'm late. I'm a lazy reader. And like, if someone sends me a daily email, I'm, I have a, I unsubscribe. This is like I'm notorious. I unsubscribe to my girlfriend's emails because I was like I just don't want the like more emails in my email inbox. So I'm curious what you guys feel about that. Did you also unsubscribe from your boyfriend's emails? Do you not get my emails? I don't get your. I don't get any of your. What's emails. wrong with I, you? Daily emails are too much. 
what content do you like to consume, Marcos? Do you like audio content, video content? What sort of content do you like to video. consume? Video. Yeah, video. Video. Okay. So maybe in that sense, the reason why email, I'm just guessing here, the reason emails may not resonate with you is because you're more of a visual guy. So like for me, it's not so much about the email. It's about having a way to build a relationship with your audience every day. So for me, email just works best because I like to write and I like to read. So... If I show up in my audience's inbox every day, I know for a fact that I'm building a relationship with them because like every time I've signed a high ticket client, they have said something along the lines of, I've been reading your threads for X was 12 months. I've been reading your emails for whatever period. I've been following you on Twitter for whatever period. It's only now I decided to buy because of whatever problem I have right now. So I know it's it's not so much the email, but it's like the, it's like the regular contact with your market. That's what I want. Email just happens to be the most convenient vehicle for me to do that with my audience. I think people have the same effect with podcasts. Like for example, I think podcasts are actually more powerful than emails because it's audio. So like I have a, you know, all of us, I don't know whatever podcast you guys listen to, but like, let's just say, for example, I really like Jocko's podcast. It just seems, to, I just like his podcast. I've been listening, I probably listened to over a hundred hours of Jocko's content. And so I've, it, it's to the point where I feel like I know him, even though I've only, I actually met him once, but like, uh, I feel like I know him because I, I've, I've, I've listened to him speak at the gym, at home when I'm cooking for like hundreds of hours. And so like, if he made an offer to me about coaching or whatever, I'd probably buy the only reason I haven't bought one of his offices is because like he does leadership training, like in-person corporate leadership training and things like that. Um, and he sells products that aren't available in Colombia, like his, his supplements. I would totally buy all that shit if it was available. I, I have a question on this and I'm going to kind of put you to, because I know you're a really skilled, you're a really skilled finder is something I admire about you, Eddie, as in you can see content where other people can't see content. You can find content where other people can't. So to illustrate kind of this example is, the rate of the daily email. I didn't know this thing about Jocko that you actually met him. Is it too much to ask if right now on this pod, you kind of wrote up or like talked about you writing an email from scratch about what the Jocko thing happened so we can kind of see your thought process about telling that story and you selling something. I'd like to see that. You mean how I get ideas for emails? No, like let's say you were to write an email about the Jocko events, but like now, like try to walk us through how you think about stuff or what would the email look like? Oh, okay, 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 I see. All right, so the first thing I would do is like, I'm trying to put myself in the position of, because this is this was years ago when I, when I met him. Oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. Okay, so freakish co coincidence. I was at home, I'm from a city called Brisbane, in Australia. I was in Brisbane. I was in Brisbane for only three weeks. This is 2018. I was there for three weeks. And in that three week period, I kid you not, Brisbane's a small city in Australia. It's not a main, it's not like Sydney. It's not like London. It's, it's a small city. In that three week span, Jocko Willink had a live event and a book signing in my city. The next week, Jordan Peterson was there speaking and signing books in Brisbane, Australia in the three weeks I was there. So that's a freakish coincidence. So like to me, the powerful takeaway from that is that the power is like the, the aspect of fate of like destiny. So like, if I had to write email about it, it would probably be around some sort of something to do with like destiny and like how I manifested reality. I don't know what that email would look like, but that's the first thing that pops in my head when I think about that experience. It's quite deep. It's, it's like, I think the the content, I was actually speaking to someone in space the other day, content to me, it's about de developing this observational skill that, that JK was so kind to compliment me on, like just this skill of being able to observe and extract lessons from everyday experience. This is what I love about being a marketer. Marketing is the only one of the only professions in the world 
where literally everything you do makes you better at your job. This is what I fucking love about marketing. I, I feel like I'm not working at all. I could be sitting in the cinema. I could be in the supermarket doing something annoying, like waiting in line in the supermarket. That's like the worst thing in the world. That experience will make me a better marketer because there's something I can take from that. I can turn to a piece of content and that content will help me build my audience. It will help me make, me make, help me make money. So like everything, everything compliments me as a marketer. That's, that's why I love marketing. I, I have uh, two, two questions for you, two completely different questions. So number one, since everything in life is marketing, do you have, and if you do, can you share your kind of idea capture method? Like for example, if you're standing in a line at the groceries, I, I can't imagine you're whipping out your laptop and writing the email then and there. So you must have some sort of like idea capture unless you just have like a deep pit of ideas in your brain. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you guys right now. So I have a Google Doc. I was, I was just going to pull it up. And I'll tell you what's in my Google Doc. Oh, yeah. Link in the description. I have a Google Doc on my computer called Email Gold. And Email Gold is like whenever I get an idea, I just put it in there. So there's two things I put in Email Gold. I write the experience, and then underneath the experience, I write the lesson. So let me give you an example right now. I remember this one specifically. So I have a note here that says, Steven Spielberg and John Williams collaboration. So people who don't know Steven Spielberg is a film is a movie director. John Williams is a composer. So everyone talks about Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer is great, but the real OG is John Williams. He did soundtrack, hit the soundtracks for like Home Alone, Indiana Jones, like these classical soundtracks. And I was thinking, I wrote down here, Spielberg gets all the credit, but Williams was essential in making his movies classic. So the point I'm trying to make there is that oftentimes we give credit, we give 99% of the credit to one particular person, but there's aspects to business or to a piece of content or art that we overlook that actually, if you remove this smaller thing, the main guy wouldn't get all the credit. So like I could write an email about the fact, for example, that if you look at Alex Hormozzi, it might be easy to, to give credit to the fact that Alex Hormozzi is a very successful entrepreneur, but because we give him so much credit for his business experience, we overlook other components of his brand that actually make him more powerful. So for example, one thing that people overlook about Alex Hormozzi is his actual visual branding. The fact that he wears a white beater and, a, and, the, and the acquisition cap and the denim shorts, like that component of his branding is easy to overlook, but that might be contributing more to his branding than, than we like to admit. So like I could turn that email into an analogy with, between Steven Spielberg and John Williams. The fact that we watch Steven Spielberg movies, we give all the credit to him because he's the movie director, but we might be overlooking the fact that the music, the mu it's the music and the scoring of the movie that makes the movie memorable. It sounds like one of your superpowers is being able to kind of take two ideas and turn them into a piece of content, which is, I think is an underrated skill for having a lot of content ideas. I saw one of your threads that was kind of relating, and I don't know the name, it was some older uh, guy, and it was a black and white picture, and you related it to being a professional life enjoyer. And I thought oh, yeah. that was you're really good at pulling out two topics that you would never expect to be correlated and then turning them into a story. And I think that's what helps you have so much content because you you send you tend to be you tend to be relentless daily emails daily multiple daily tweets long form posts you have a lot of content yeah um i'm gonna tell you guys a secret right now so the reason why most of the marketing content business content specifically on twitter sucks is because it's made by people who only consume content within the world of business so if you ask the average money twitter person what's their favorite podcast what's their favorite content they're going to tell you oh my first million or like andrew huberman or Ta Tim Ferriss, 
all great pieces of content, all fantastic, all everything I love. But it's like, really, man? Like, do you not have other other interests? Do you not watch sports? Do you not watch movies? Do you not listen to music? Content is content. It's the same shit. Like, like if you, the reason why my content may resonate with you more than others is because I don't just consume business content. I consume content outside of business. And so, like, the reason why I'm able to draw these analogies and these stories from other things is because I have interests outside of business. And, like, by connecting the dots between the different worlds, to me, that's, like, from a from a creative standpoint, that's where it gets really interesting. I agree, and I think that's where a lot of business accounts tend to get capped out. They basically just don't, to, to kind of dumb it down, they don't know how to capture the normie market, and they get stuck with the same... 30,000, 50,000, 100,000 followers that are going around money Twitter. It's the same recycled people. It's kind of like sloppy second, sloppy third, sloppy four. It's like you, you can't get to the norm. If you've ever seen anybody's account and you go to their top tweets, it's always a tweet that can resonate with normal people. It's always like a normal viral viral uh, tweet. And someone that does this really well is Trung T-Fan. I guess it's Asian excellence. But Trung T-Fan has like the best normie meme but business threads and tweets. Like he captures everybody. That's why he has a million followers. And I think you hit the nail on the head and it's it's not easy. That's also why it's just like most people don't know how to or they just like you said, don't consume enough normal people content. I want to add one one thing that resonated with me about what you said, Eddie, which is when you're in business or when you're marketing, everything is a lesson. You're always learning. Like I'm a big fan of, you know how Gary Hilbert used to write sales letters and then go to the cafe, show it to somebody at the cafe. And if somebody said, this is a pretty good ad, he'd scrap it immediately because he says, this doesn't work. I want people to think I want to buy this. So sometimes I'll have a friend or I'll have someone and I'll ask them, what do you think about this? And I want to kind of see where their eyes move, like where do they stop? I ask them to read it out loud. So I know this is where they kind of stopped. And the most recent example of this, I'm running a workshop. It was about writing content, right? I wanted people to understand like how to, how to write better content, which is probably why, why you're here because I want to ask you questions on it. But I was asking a friend, like, what do you think about this content? Because I was thinking about how to name it. I was about, do I want to name this the content unit? Do I want to name it the infinite content matrix or whatever? And he said, I want to learn how to grow, but I also want to make money while I do it. And I'm like, that sparked the idea within me. The workshop is called Likes and Cash. And I'm like, completely revolutionary, right? But I'm like thinking, oh, this is it. But it wouldn't have occurred to me if it wasn't in that situation. Another situation was like, I was, I was, I had this framework that I wanted to fit into four things, but I couldn't make it look nice because three things is very simple. It's like a triangle. Like I like drawing things and I try to fit the four things inside a bridge. But if you think about a bridge, you don't think about a bridge in four pieces. And the person's like, oh, four, like, like a car. I'm like, yes, like the wheels of a car. And I'm like, that person gave me that idea, but it wouldn't have happened if I, I didn't ask them. So super resonated with what you said about marketing is everywhere. You, you know what I was thinking too? And I kind of had this realization five seconds ago. And I, this it started because I was listening to uh, Blake Rocha, a podcast he did. And he was talking about, and he has like a multi six-figure coaching business. And you guys all have six, seven-figure coaching business, you three. And I'm like, what's the correlation between you three? You guys all are content first. I feel like you're all creators and it's starting to show me that i think you guys are like creator first and blake had said that he spends 80 percent of his time thinking about creating it sounds like you two are thinking about creating all day 
it's really all you're thinking about what's the next like great piece of content and i think being a creator led there's something to be said about being creator led a creator led business in the creator economy and i think that's the correlation between you three all three of you have hundreds of thousands of followers you guys all three say you think about content you know 80 percent of the time maybe more it sounds like eddie is at like 95 percent overdrive i wonder if you guys have anything to say on that like being you guys are creators at heart and you think that's that's it because it sounds like the creating is like the main thing and then everything else like the sales are just coming naturally yeah um i definitely resonate with that man that's a really interesting observation yeah to me i i can only speak to myself i don't know what jk's like but like i get bored very quickly so for example you guys know like i was doing ghostwriting for a while um uh, and ghostwriting there was a period of time where it was like really easy to make a lot of money with it like it was really easy just like hey you give me you give me five figures like i'm gonna blow up your brand like getting engagement was easy it was just freaking easy like printing money literally and i got bored of it like i just thought creatively it was just kind of boring to do so like i shut down my agency even though it was making a lot of money and i was like all right you know i have this massive email list i'm just going to create my own offers i can create workshops i can create coaching programs and just like send out hand raisers and like work with clients i actually enjoy working with and i can i can just make money that way that that's what i've been doing since and so that's one example where i just like turned down something that even though it was profitable it was creatively, it was a complete drain on me. And like, I just, you know, again, it's unconventional advice on money Twitter because money Twitter is all about making money, but it just, it just didn't align. I just found it literally boring, like creatively. For me, it's, I'm not creator first, personally, because I used to be creator first as in what piece of content will work, but now I'm product first. When I write, I pull up these Google Sheets that my assistant collects and they have all the questions that the client asked. And I would think about what or what would a good workshop for them look like. So I'm product first. Before I used to think that the best kind of marketing was marketing to a product. And I think that's kind of the creator-led approach. But now I think the opposite way. I think the best kind of marketing is not to a product, but from a product. Instead of telling people, this is the lifestyle they could live, I say, this is the results that we got from this product. Do you want it? So I'm not, I used to be creator first. And to be fair, my engagement is kind of shit. Like I have a lot of followers and my engagement is not good, but I'm happier with the results we're getting in the business side when I switch to product first, because I can create stuff for my clients and I can put everything there and it doesn't get toxic in my content creation. And in my marketing, in my opinion, feels more honest because I can just tell people this is already done. It's not something that I'm going to do for you. Do you want it? Because it's already done. And I just have the product first approach instead of the creation first approach personally. Yeah, that's interesting because something I've realized is like for us, like we can't really work with like people who are doing a lot of creative themselves and that they're really good at creative. Like for me to go right for Eddie, it just would not be possible because it's, it's, it's an Eddie business. It's the Eddie Kwan business. That's essentially what your business is. Um, you know, for us, like our target market, when I've quit, when I've realized after about a year and a half is like, we're, we're for the people who aren't creators at all. They have, so they have value to provide in their business, but they suck at creative and they have no interest in creative. So I've worked with people who have done their creative themselves in the past, but haven't got the results they want, and they, but they really want to do it themselves. It just doesn't work because it's just like they want to be a creator. I mean, that's like, or I've realized there's two kinds of, there's two kinds of businesses here. It's like the creator led business. And then there's the, the kind of the us led, we do the creative and they're the business people. So I, I thought about that because like, Eddie's Eddie's content is so unique. Like you could never you can never replicate someone like Eddie. Yeah, Eddie's uncopy pasteable. That's exactly it. Is. You're uncopy pasteable. Like you're you're. I mean, cause at the end of the day, it's an Eddie Kwan business. It's professional life enjoyer. The war on weakness. The watermelons. Like I would have. I would be freaking out trying to make content for you. <laughs>
You know, um, one thing I'll say when it comes to content is I create a lot of content. I also create a daily email. I do it slightly different than Eddie. I don't go and, and collect ideas. I collect kind of stories because I think that great content isn't created. Great content is collected. So I don't think that the best content comes from the present or the future. I think that the best content comes from the past, from things that you have already done. But then I get a lot of pushback from people who think maybe I haven't done anything interesting or I, had, I don't have much to talk about. Maybe I'm a beginner or I just talked about everything I needed to talk about. And I don't have any more case studies. So something I do is I call it kind of four by four. So I create like three, like four rows, business, clients, results, and life. And then for each one, I would come up with four stories, a good, a great, a bad, and an ugly. And what that allows me to do is because it's one good story for business clients result life, one great story for business clients results life. What I find is that I don't need more content. I need better memory. And sometimes people think about, I don't have enough content or like, I need more ideas. You don't need more ideas. You need better memory of the things you have already done. Because when you go and talk about the events that you have already had, a common theme in this podcast that we talk about, if it could be in anybody else's feed, it can't be in yours because you collect the stories from your past. You're by definition uncopy pasteable because there's only one of you. So I find that four by four, I hate that word, but matrix helps me find the stories inside my life. And that is what eventually fuels my content engine. Thanks for writing my email tomorrow, JK. I got you. Don't worry about it. <clears throat> I want to. I have a, a math question because I'm. I want to go back to the the emails. With the daily emails, do you guys think about how you are, are you tracking if you are gaining enough subscribers per day to offset daily unsubscription? Is that something you guys think about? And how, do you guys have like systems in place to get enough subscriptions to keep up with unsubscriptions by doing daily emails? Is that something you guys think about? Or do you just have like no unsubscriptions? That's something I've thought about in daily emails and maybe a, a listener is going to be thinking about the same thing. The way I think about metrics in general, not just email, is that for me, the metric, the numbers are more of a, uh, what's the word for it? It's more of like a, unless it's like a major red flag, I don't really think about it. So unless I'm losing like hundreds of, of people per day, I'm not even thinking about it. Like on average, I get about 15 to 20 unsubscribers per email. I have 15,000 on my email list. As long as I'm getting more subscribers than unsubscribers over the long run, then I'm good. In fact, I actually like a regular cadence of unsubscribers because that I don't want those people on my list. I want the hardcore fans on my list. I'd rather have 10,000 hardcore fans that read my emails for five. I want, I'd rather have one person read my email a thousand times than a thousand re people read my email once. Same. Like I think the same way. When I was trying to lose weight, bro, I, like I focused so hard on how many calories I'm losing every day. It has to be 500 and then I'm going to speed it up and be 750. But at some point it burned me out so bad that my rule for losing weight was it's okay as long as I am less fat today than I was yesterday. As long as I'm less fat today than I was yesterday, I'm doing something right. Even if it's one calorie, you know what I mean? So I kind of know how many of subscribers I get, which is like 15 or something. So if it's above 15, it's like, we're good. We're less fat. We're good. We can keep going. Same as you, same thing, same thing. I want, yeah, I want because if you, the, 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 the one person who contributes your content, 100 hours of your content, then then the thousand people who contribute con uh, 10 minutes of your content, the one person who contributes 100 hours of your content is going to spend more money with you. Yeah, they trust you a lot more. One thing that, because you guys were both in the Slack, I, I get sometimes notifications. And that's interesting because I can see what people are doing. So for example, when Marcos closed a few people from the program, I got the notification. Marcos has created the private channel with this client 
I'm like, it's not because they're homies. Like something's going on, right? I could see it. And the other day I got a notification. Eddie Kwan booked a call. For some reason it popped up in the calendar with Ben Settle, AKA the greatest email marketer of all time. And I thought that shit's interesting and I need to talk about this on the How did that happen? And what value did you get from that call? What'd you guys talk about? I got very lucky. Uh, ben had an offer where if you promoted his email list to your list, you need to fit a certain criteria. Thankfully, I, I met that criteria. You have to have 10,000, I think you have to have 10,000 subscribers and you, have to, and you have to have a list that that is warm. Basically, you have to email your list regularly for a long period of time. If you met those two criteria, oh, and, and your email list was like something business related, you could, if you promoted his his list to your list one with one email, he would drop on the 60 minute call with you. And you, the rules were you could record the call and you could sell the call if you wanted to as part of like a bonus in like a coaching program. So I went into the call with the intention that it was going to be like a piece of content that I could sell to my clients, but that ended up being like a really, really, really private call. But I will give you guys one takeaway from the, from that call because like the rest of it was quite personal. Well, first of all, I'm just going to be upright. He, 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 he said he follows me on Twitter, although not actually, he just follows me secretly because he said he made some watermelon jokes, which made me very happy. And He's like, Ben Settle is a professional life enjoy. He said that specifically. So that, that was really funny. But the one tip he gave me, which is why I've been going hard with the watermelon and the professional life enjoy, is that don't build a brand, build a world. And he's and he started giving me analogies about, no. And then the other thing he said to me was like, once you start building a world, you have to think about what your philosophy is. Everyone, every good brand has a, has a philosophy. And your goal with your content is to spread that philosophy. So JK's philosophy is that likes aren't cash, right? My philosophy is that you can make money without working too hard. You can be a professional life enjoyer. And so like, whatever that core message is. So like, for example, Sobra, you, you guys are familiar with Sobra's brand. His philosophy is like live life as, on, as naturally as possible. Optimize your physical health to be as natural as possible. That's his philosophy. Every great brand, every memorable brand has a core philosophy behind what they're teaching. And he told me that if you just focus on that philosophy and you create all of your content around spreading that philosophy, you will never struggle with uh, with making sales ever again. That's huge. That was beautiful. It's quite, it's quite it's quite meta if you really think about it and you start applying it to like all the all your favorite brands and all your favorite businesses. Like Alex Hormozzi's philosophy is just a hundred million, right? That's like that's like his thing. He can kick kick. He could release a book called 100 Million Cold DMs and like people would people would fucking buy that shit. Can you talk a little bit about, because I noticed you've been going pretty hard on audio lately as well, maybe over the past like quarter with the uprise of X Spaces. And I saw that you've been doing a lot of big collabs. How has audio helped change your content and why are you bullish on it if, if you are bullish? And how have you found your experience doing a lot of audio? When I say audio, obviously I mean spaces and and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm actually, it's, it's a great question. So like there were, about a month ago, I was really high on spaces. Right now I feel like it's kind of losing steam. Like it's kind of like getting to the point where people are just hopping on spaces just to hop on spaces because they, they can't get engagement anywhere else. So there is that aspect. But the reason why I'm so optimistic on audio is because going back to what I was saying about emails being a great way to build a relationship with your audience. I truly believe the most important, most valuable asset we have, at least with the, with the business models that we're teaching which is personal brand business models and coaching business models, the most valuable asset is the relationship with your audience by far. That's why Disney is a 
a billion dollar company. That's why Marvel is a billion dollar company. It's because they have this. That's why Apple is a fucking multi billion dollar company. It's not because their product, it's because the relationship they have with your audience. Apple people, I don't have an Apple product, but like pe Apple users, they're like religious, right? And, uh, and they did a study where they compared the brain patterns of like people who are devout religious with the brain pads of Apple users and they found like the dopamine or whatever they, they get Apple people get from using their products is the same it's literally like a religion to them and so audio content podcasts spaces whatever just happens to be those powerful way to build that relationship if you think about it, there's only really there's two most powerful ways to persuade people is stories and music so like podcasts I would audio content falls into the first category which is which is storytelling right if you can do, do storytelling via audio that's why stand-up comedians are so fucking powerful is because like they're just dropping audio content if you want to think about it that way i'm not good at music like it's just like it's not it's never gonna happen i'm never gonna get good at music since so like i guess audio storytelling writing that's like what i'm gonna go into bro you're asian and your parents didn't make you play piano i do i played piano when i was when i was in primary school <laughs> well i didn't I didn't have the fucking uh, discipline. Yeah. <laughs> Me too, bro. I just <laughs> I was the only I was the only Asian kid who didn't get A plus in maths. You know how powerful how painful that was? Oh, dude, about classes, I wanted to talk about the characters in the story you mentioned because I didn't get A pluses in anything, but the one class that I got really close to was uh, language arts and English. And I really liked it because my teacher was super passionate about stories and teaching just stories. And I just was really in it. And one time he said, do you guys know what makes a story great? Do you know what makes characters or movies or series great? I'm like, okay, what makes a story great? And he said, it's not the plot. It's not the visual effects. It's the characters. It's how well you can connect with the characters inside. So when you mention about creating your own world, being that own character, I think about that a lot when I create stories or when I write emails. How can I make people relate to this character? I don't create, like I, in my content, I create context, which is something I didn't do before. I used to say this person got this result, but now I give people context. These were the struggles. He couldn't do anything. Now he bought his mom a house and now he wants to buy his dad something else. And he was struggling with this many follower accounts. And I give people context so they can relate to the character, which was something that really resonated with me. But to a follow-up question, that I wanted to ask you is, well, you've grown your list, 15K, and you're monetizing your list because you're a professional life enjoyer. So what are some things that you've seen work to grow email lists? And what are some things you've seen that uh, work or don't work to monetize email lists? Uh, let's start with the growing part because that's like step one, right? So um, the most obvious thing is just as like, similar to making money, just make more offers. Make an offer to join your list, right? Put it in your in your in your social media links promote it underneath don't ever waste traffic that's a, that's a big thing people have they they write a piece of co even if it's like a shitty fucking seven lessons from reading this book thread that's traffic okay it might it's not good quality traffic but it's traffic and so like you don't want to waste that traffic right you want to you want to you want to drive that traffic to an opt-in page if you can so i would say as as like just basic shit Make an opt-in page, create a lead magnet, and plug that. Plug it everywhere. Plug it on your best performing posts. Plug in your social media profiles, etc. The second uh, bit of I would another great way to grow your list, and this is going to come from like leveraging your relationship, is to do list swaps. This is something I have to I've, I've overlooked. I need to like do this more often. It's like when you just like what I did with Ben Settle, where you where you uh, make deals with other people 
other creators in your space to do a mutual list swap where they promote your list and you promote their list. That's probably the best way to get the best quality leads. Because like if, holy shit, if like if 50 people who read JK's emails join my email list, that's worth way more than 50,000 Twitter, Twitter followers who follow me because I told them to drink water. You know what I'm saying? So I know, I know what you're yeah. I know what you're saying. To to that point, like I'm doing this workshop with Justin Walsh and Dan Co. And these guys, respectfully, they just show up to the workshop. The offer is I want to promote the thing. You make sure to share your stuff to your audience, and we're gonna split the email subs in the end. So that's kind of yep. how I grew that. That's been Genius. really good for evil growth. Like, Holy crap! You must have just made. You're gonna make so much back from like the people who followed Justin Welsh and who from his list and then followed you. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. list swaps. Um, what else? Uh, lead magnets. That that's probably that's probably a good way to get started and then promoting on your best performing posts. Because one thing I haven't done yet, and I'm I'm gonna do this. This is gonna be my big project next year. Is go on YouTube. Um, because one thing I've learned that I've overlooked is YouTube is that YouTube is not a social media site. It's a search engine. And so like if ten people join your email list because they they were looking up uh, a solution to a specific problem and they found your YouTube video. That's different from 10 people who found who found you because the Twitter feed told them that this thread is good is what they might be interested in. That's a completely different on the on your convert kit dashboard, you might just see that as 10 subscribers, but the 10 subscribers of people who like looked for a solution, watched one of your videos, and then opted into your email list, that's a much better quality email subscriber than someone who just came across it randomly on Twitter, right? And so that's 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 one thing people have to understand when they grow when growing their list is like focus on quality, not quantity. I know a guy, he's a marketer, he uh he's got he's only got like a hundred people on his email list because he only started building his list like I think three weeks ago. But the hundred subscribers that joined his list was purely through or organic authority content. So like content that was specifically about marketing. From that 100 subscribers, he's already made 3K just from that 100, from 100 US subscribers and they only started three weeks ago, right? The reason why he did that is because he focused on quality subscribers, not quantity. How about monetization? What about, what about it? So like we're, we're talking about growth, how about monetization? What things have you seen that work oh, for yeah, monetization? Oh okay, so, yeah, okay, so massive insight. Massive insight I learned from from experimenting with my, uh, I wanted the email campaign. It was like a two-week campaign to sell a $700 workshop, okay? And one of the emails in that campaign was, in my opinion, one of the most valuable pieces of content I've ever written. I basically wrote a guide on how to grow and monetize your Twitter account. That email got me exactly zero sales. It took me about four hours to write. But the next day I sent an email which took me five minutes to write and it was just a, a testimonial of this woman who joined the cohort and went from zero to 30K. That's it. It was a 200, 200 word email. Here's where she was before she joined the cohort. Here's where she is afterwards. Link to join the cohort. It made like seven sales. So stop teaching in your emails. People don't want to be taught. They want to be sold. Well, you know what it is too is you built you built a character. And this kind of goes to what you guys were just talking about, about building worlds and building characters. And, and when you do your storytelling, I was just listening to uh, the Walt Disney story. And Walt Disney was one of the first people to actually create stories and real characters that have something to resonate with. Before that, it was just black and white, silent movies, and they were all like memes, jokes, gags, cartoons. And Walt Disney actually revolutionized building stories with and, and building characters that actually you can resonate with. I think that's what you saw there too, is like the how to teach was like kind of just the gag. It's kind of just like a whatever kind of thing. And then 
the other email was you built a story and a character that someone can put themselves they could put themselves in those shoes and that's what walt disney did so it's really interesting yeah that was so hard what, what you said about stop teaching hard dude yes never, i use it was so annoying jk because i spent so much time writing that email like i was like i really i was like man i'm gonna give so much value away that it hurts i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna give them so much value and educate them and teach them for free and then they're gonna buy i didn't fucking buy it. and so here's the secret of the email don't sell the product sell the vehicle sell the unique vehicle that you're going to teach them inside of your product so for example if i was writing an email for jk i wouldn't i would teach how to do a hand raiser that's stupid they're not gonna they're even though if you teach them they're not gonna buy even though like, they can use that email take that email go make money they will buy teach them on why hand raisers are the secret to make more money that's what you tease in the email and if you want to actually learn how to use the cash raiser well you got to join the fucking community you got to join like say cash and do the hand raiser within the hand raiser tutorial yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so sell them on the, on your unique vehicle sell them on your on your results sell them on your on your big ideas but don't actually sell them uh, don't actually teach them anything because they want they, they they want to buy they want to be sold. There's a secret to your secret. There's the secret to your secret, and you guys both said it, but no one, I want to make sure the listener really captures it. You both get people results because you have good product. I want that to be very clear because you can't do this if you don't actually have a product or yes. good product or good results to actually market in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Um, this goes back to what I was saying before about you were asking me the, the email, email statistics. Um, and I said that, you know, I'd rather have 10 people spend 100 hours reading my emails than a thousand people who spend 10 minutes reading my emails. It's the same thing with your products, right? So like, you're going to make way more money if you can if you can get 10 buyers to actually use your coaching, actually use your product, actually consume your products, actually consume your coaching, than, you know, a thousand people who bought your product at a discount and didn't do shit. A small distinction that I wanted to make as well, because I've been thinking about this a lot. To me, it's bad content makes people do good content makes people want so your thing the email where you gave people all the secrets it made people do i'm not saying it wasn't like maybe you didn't get any sales but a reason why probably you didn't get many sales is because people read that email and said i know exactly what to do i don't need any i don't need to buy anything because he just gave me the entire playbook it made people want to do Whereas the great content makes people want. So they read what happened in your case study and then they want what's behind it. And both are valuable. Just one is hard value, which I believe the place for hard value is behind the paywall. And the other one is soft value, which is, you know, before the paywall, which is you make people want, you direct their desires towards something. Because once you create that emotion, you get the sale, you get people a reason to commit. Partly why I believe that you, it's impossible to make your free content better than anybody else's paid content because there is no free with commitment. And with commitment comes value because with commitment, you take things seriously, which is why I don't like the notion of give everything away for free. And I think I did it and I ended up very frustrated. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Uh, just, to, just to double down that point, um, you know, people might, people might hear that and misconstrue it as like, that's a bad thing. Like you, you're just creating emotions inside of people. But like emotions are a powerful thing because here's what I've realized from coaching. I've been doing it for a few years now. If you can get someone to like make that emotional desire within themselves to act, then you as a coach, you don't have to really educate them that much. They just, they, they will figure it out on their own. That's the secret to coaching. Is like you you basically make them take action. This is why Tony Robbins gets paid 
millions of dollars, even though people people like reduce him to being like just like a mindset coach, but like he transforms people as as cheesy as that sounds. He gives you a transformative experience. And then you go out and like the actual technicals of the how-tos of like how to make money and how to lose all that stuff. You figure that shit out on your own once you make that, tra once you have that emotional transformation. It's like the girl that rejected you, that pissed you off so much that got you into the gym, did more for you than any fitness coach could have ever done. Yes, I heard a podcast. That's a great one. I heard a podcast clip uh, a few months ago, JK. Uh, this guy was saying, Andrew Tate is not a fitness coach, but Andrew Tate has done more for male fitness than 99% than of fitness coaches. Why? Because he gives you that transformation. You see Andrew Tate, he's got a six-pack, he's, he's fighting, he's rich, he's got girls. You want that as a young man, right? And so you're going to get your ass to the gym because... He motivates you to take action. Compare that to the freaking broke fitness bro who's barely scratching 3K a month, teaching you how to eat your protein, teaching you how to track your macros, actually trying to educate you, and he's not making any money because he just doesn't have that emotional pull. That's why, like, this universe building stuff, storytelling stuff, like, it's it's powerful. Like, the reason why I'm so big on it is because it's going gonna, it's gonna to create more value for your customers than giving away all your content for free and just like putting out authority, pure authority content and trying to be a good guy and trying to teach people, you're, you're actually doing your customers a disservice. That's also why I, I'm so bullish on lifestyle marketing. Like, like back in the day when this industry first started, everybody kind of saw lifestyle marketing as unethical. But I see it as like, I see it as very ethical. I think that at the real, ethic the real ethics line, how many people you can actually help and impact. And if you have to be theatrical, to help people, I think that's okay. And I, I, we talked about it a couple episodes ago, but I spoke to Ty Lopez and he was like, yeah, like it, of course it's theatrics, like it's marketing. But if you want to, if you want to sell your course to more people and your course is good and you can help people, you need to be theatrical. Andrew Tate did it. Sam Ovens did it. Ty Lopez did it. Everyone does it. You have to do it. And that it's human psychology. You can't play a game that doesn't exist. And if we're all humans, you have to go and adhere to the human brain and the lifestyle marketing is more ethical to me than trying to be educational and not even you're not going to make any sales and you're not going to impact anybody and I, I cringe when i see fitness coaches doing like deadlift tutorials all the time like airs bro <laughs> like like who gives like your prospects don't deadlift that's the problem yeah, like like if i paid you teach me how to deadlift but before i pay you like your all your marketing needs to be it needs to be everything related to the lifestyle i want to eat good food that without without sacrificing anything i only want to train three days a week and i don't want to sacrifice my soy lattes so teach me how. I think obviously it's, it's, un, it's obviously unethical if you're not living the, if you're just like, if you're, pro, as, as Marcus was saying, if your product sucks or you're just like straight up scamming, you're just lying. Exactly. So like that, that's where people misconstrue lifestyle marketing. They're, 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 they're putting everyone to the same pile as like the 18 year old who rents a Ferrari for the day. Exactly. The yeah. Lamb. Yeah. <laughs> they think they think lifestyle marketing is just Lambo marketing, which is like in reality the Lambo, like the real ethical Lambo marketing is for like the one percent. Like the, it's literally just like Andrew Tate. Like after yeah, that, exactly. You, <laughs> you just look you just look corny after that. Like you got to be in the top one percent to to pull it off. Eddie, I have a question. When this does require, in my opinion, a little bit of being humble to understand the value of. I don't like to think of it as dumbing it down. I don't like the phrase dumbing it down because that assumes that your audience is dumb. I'd rather think of them as high IQ with high pain. But to people you're coaching who might go through that, but I don't wanna, I don't know, it feels cheap. Like that feels cheap. Going through that emotion feels cheap. How do you coach them through 
no, this is actually the way to do it so they can get over that belief. I always try and frame it of like, serious how you help, you're actually doing your clients a favor, you're actually helping them. So I always try and frame the conversation around that way. Um, where I asked them, like, like, at the end of the day, what do you want to do? Like, you want to help your, you want to make money, but you want to help your clients solve their problems, right? You want to do it ethically. Because, like, I, I don't, I'm not going to work with coaches who are unethical, right? Like, I, people who I work with, that you and I work with, JK, like, I, I, they believe in your service. I've never, I don't think I've ever come across a, a coach, even the ones who didn't get as, as good results as they should have. I don't think I've ever come across a coach who didn't really believe that they were trying to help their cl clients. So, you know, if you, truly believe you want to help your clients then the best way to help them is by doing what we're talking about so i always try and frame the conversation around helping their clients because at the end of the day that's what they want to do um and then as a result they're going to make more money right it's not always easy because some 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 people just don't get it they're like they this is the one thing that marketers have advantage over is like they we we know for a fact that people are not logically driven like, you know, they, they, we use logic to justify our decisions, to justify our actions after the action, but we don't use logic to form, to make decisions. That's the biggest mistake that people make who don't have a marketing background. They don't understand that. And so like, it's our job as marketers to teach them that, that, that people are not, they don't make decisions based on logic, but that doesn't make them dumb. It's just how human nature is. That was beautiful. Eddie, we got three more minutes, but what is one thing that maybe you felt like we didn't cover that you wanted to cover or something that's fresh in your mind that you'd like to leave the audience with? Um, I don't know if it's the biggest thing, but like I would say, right, I'm, gonna leave you, I'm gonna leave you guys with this. Build your list. That's that's, that's the message I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave everyone with because like I've been on this freaking platform for, this is gonna be fourth year coming up now. And every fucking year I get the same whiny bitches. Nope, sorry. I'm getting the same whiny people who are like coming to me the algorithm sucks, my content's inconsistent, blah, 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 blah. Well, well, why didn't you build your list two years ago, man? Build your freaking list. Like, like it's the one thing that you own. It's the one, like, you, you, you talk about building a business, but, like, you're building, a, you're, you're building your, your business on, on a sandcastle. Like, like, social media is cool. Great, it's a great traffic generator. You can definitely make money selling directly on social media. I'm not saying don't do that, but, like, if you're here for the long run, you're here to build a business that's going to, last for several years hopefully start building your list start like building your universe and like you know ideally you want to get to a point where like you run your business off your list you run the business off something you fucking actually owe because you don't own your social media beautiful eddie if anybody wanted more access to you and your brain where can they go yeah, go to www.professionallifeenjoyer.com and sign up to my email list. Do you actually own that? You <laughs> own that? Yeah, it was, it, was, it was available. I bought it straight away. Professionallifeenjoyer.com. That's mine. <laughs> Thank you, Eddie. This was mega. Appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, guys.